Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. I need to confess something as we get started this morning, and that is this. I am an ice cream-aholic. Love ice cream. Anybody else just love ice cream? Yep. So whenever my wife Abby was pregnant with our first child, I was excited for the pregnancy stage because I had heard about these things called pregnancy cravings, which are basically just a free pass to eat whatever you want, anytime you want. And so I had a ton of pregnancy cravings. Like they they would come at all hours of the day, but especially at night. And I would even like try and talk my wife into craving. So like it's 10 p.m. You need some Taco Bell. You need you need something. And so anyway, like it turned into all these late night runs to go get um, ice cream. Um, There's a place in Oklahoma called Brahms, which. It's just fantastic, right? If you've ever had Brahms, and I heard a rumor that Conway was gonna get a Brahms, and then I had those dreams crushed when somebody said that's not not true, but if uh, if you're anybody that has any kind of power in our city, we need a Brahms, all right? This Oklahoma boy needs needs some Brahms. But anyway, I would go, I'd go just about every night. It started just once or twice a week, and before I knew it, it was just routine. I was going to go get ice cream, and I really packed on the pounds with our first pregnancy. Abby, not so much, but I I packed on the pounds, right? And so even today, like, I I still just love ice cream, have a craving for ice cream. Late at night, I want to go get a Chick-fil-A shake or something from Andy's. Like, I just love ice cream. This past week, we were in Anaheim, California for the SBC annual meeting, and uh, I was able to take part in this beautiful creation here, right? That's $16 of goodness right there. And I think I had every bite to myself. My wife, you know, she, she maybe had a couple of bites. I don't know if you can tell, but right there on the side, that's a whole ice cream sandwich just kind of smacked on the side of that bad boy. And it was glorious, right? So ice cream for me is a problem. Like it, it's a problem. I love ice cream. And if, I've discovered this about myself, if we have ice cream in the house, I'm gonna eat it, right? And so we've had to put these boundaries in place. Like I've told my wife, Listen, don't, don't buy ice cream whenever you go to the grocery store. If it's in the freezer, I will eat it. And so that's something we just need to know. Like, we, you have to know your hangups and you have to draw some boundaries, right? And so for me, ice cream is mine. Sin works the same way, right? It may start small, but if it goes unchecked, it can become a big problem. And so this morning, we're talking about addressing sin head on. The Puritans used to talk about sin this way. They would say that that small sins are like baby snakes, that they're small, but they're deadly. And if you allow that thing to live and grow, man, it can destroy you. And so this morning, it's Father's Day, and we're going to talk about this great king named Solomon, who he had it all, man. He had wealth, he had power, he had fame, he had the girls, he had it all, but he was destroyed by his sin. His sin was his downfall. And so we're going to look at that this morning. If you have a Bible, turn it with me to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. So if you've been with us, two weeks ago we started this new series in the book of 1 Kings. 
And uh, we started in chapter three, which chapter three is the coronation event of King Solomon. It's, it's the moment where he becomes the, the third king in Israel's history. And it's this big celebration moment, chapter three. It was, it was, a, it was a good um, time in Israel's history. Chapter eight was last week when we talked about uh, they finished the temple, Solomon finished building the temple, and he prays this beautiful prayer of dedication for the temple. And today, in chapter 11, we're at the end of his life. And we're gonna see that he is completely overtaken by sin. And it's his downfall. That's what we're gonna see this morning. Before we read it though, I want us to pray. And, and so I'm gonna pray for all of us. And as I do, why don't you just pray for yourself and just simply pray this. God, would you speak to me in this moment? Let's pray. God, we just wanna pause and just, um, just ask you to speak. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the spirit that is working and alive in us. And I pray that right now through our time together, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you show us Jesus? Would you change us and make us more into the likeness of the Son? And help us to be bold in following whatever it is you lead us to do. We love you and we're listening. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, 1 Kings chapter 11. We're going to break this into sections. I want to show you four points in this text this morning. If you're a note taker, um, I'm kind of a note taker. It makes it easy. I've got four points, but let's, let's break down the text in sections. Look with me, verse 1 of chapter 11. King Solomon loved many foreign women. In addition to Pharaoh's daughter, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonite, and Hittite women from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them and they must not intermarry with you because they will turn your heart away to follow their gods. And to these women, Solomon was deeply attached in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 who were concubines and they turned his heart away. First thing I want us to see this morning, number one, sin begins in a disobedient heart. Sin begins in a disobedient heart. See, this passage, it references the fact that God had told them, don't intermarry with other, other countries. Don't do that. And that comes from Deuteronomy chapter seven. God says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess, and he drives out many nations before you, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. You must not intermarry with them, verse four says, because they will turn your sons away from me to worship other gods and the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will swiftly destroy you. And then 1 Kings 11.1 1 opens by saying, King Solomon loved many foreign women. This is just direct disobedience. So a couple of weeks ago, um, it, was, it was after Easter and we had a bag of the Reese's peanut butter eggs. You know what I'm talking about? Like anytime Reese's puts out their holiday stuff, their, their Christmas trees, their pumpkins, their eggs, it's like the perfect ratio of chocolate to peanut butter and it's glorious, right? And so we had a bag of those in our house. And my son, my three-year-old son, my youngest, his name is Ames, and he is like me. He has a sweet tooth. He loves candy. Like the boy is just always eating 
Candy, even just last night, he was sitting at the bar at bedtime, and he's sitting there watching his iPad, and he's got a, this bag of these, uh, have you heard of the Nerds Gummy things? Those are awesome, right? And so he's just sitting there at bedtime, and he's just popping those things. And I asked my wife, I was like, Abby, is he supposed to be eating these? And she's like, no. And I was like, man, what are you doing? Are you supposed to be eating these? He's like, I don't know. You know, just going to town on them. And so we had this bag of Reese's eggs in our house, and uh, we had to like put a limit on them for the kids because they were just eating them all. Like we would come in and Ames would be sitting on the counter in the kitchen, just going to town on these things. And so we had to cut him off. It's like, bro, you've got a problem. You know, we're, we're cutting you off. And so we, we, we put a limit on him. We said, no more. A couple days later, I was in his room and I was putting him to bed and uh, was tucking him in and I move his pillow and underneath his pillow is just tons of empty Reese's wrappers. Tons of them. And I was mad because he ate all my Reese's, one. But then I was like, man, did, did you eat all these? And he looked at me with a straight face and he was like, no. And I was like, I know that you ate these. And he goes, yeah, I ate those, right? Just direct disobedience. And that's what we see here. It's a picture of what Solomon does as well. God said one thing, Solomon does the opposite. It's just direct disobedience. And the thing that makes it even worse is that Solomon knew He knew God's command. He wrote three chapters about it in Proverbs. Three chapters about staying away from forbidden women, yet we read that he has over 700 wives and 300 concubines. Like he's just, he's all in, right? And and the thing about it is, is God had good reasons for these commands, why he told him to stay away. God always has good reasons why he tells us to do things and live certain ways. And the reason was, as he gives the warning in verse two, God says, because they will turn your heart away. See, in the Bible, we need to understand that the heart means the inner person, your core, it's who you are. So this is really the issue that's going on here. It's not, it's not the marriage that, that's the problem, it's that they'll start worshiping other gods. That's the issue. That's why God says don't do it because God knows and he wants us to know that our heart was created to worship him. Our heart was created to worship God, but sin comes in and redirects. It turns our heart in another way. It turns our heart away from God. I mean, look at Solomon's story. It begins in chapter three with the statement in verse three of chapter three, Solomon loved the Lord. And now in chapter 11, it begins and his story ends in tragedy. And it says, King Solomon loved many foreign women. And it's, it's bad because in verse two, it says deeply attached. He was deeply attached to these women. That word is usually associated like in Deuteronomy 17 with being attached to God. But here it's used to say that he was deeply attached to all of these foreign women and they led his heart astray. And so you and I need to understand that. We need to take this warning this morning Jeremiah 17, nine says that the heart is deceitful above anything else. It's incurable, right? We have a heart problem and because Solomon's heart was given to other lovers, he fell hard. He fell hard. James in the New Testament talks about the progression of sin and he says this in James 1.15, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. You see that? 
It, it begins with desire. It starts small, but it leads to death. And so our problem isn't out there. Our problem is in here. Jesus talks about that in Mark chapter seven. The, the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, hey, why do you and your disciples, why do you not wash your hands before you eat? And Jesus told him, he's like, look, it's not anything on the outside that comes in that makes you unclean. You're unclean because of your heart. And then he goes on a few verses later. He says, Isaiah prophesied well about you, you hypocrites. He says that, that you, you worship me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. And so your worship is in vain. And we see that in Solomon. Like we see, we see that. Solomon prayed great prayers. He spoke a lot of wisdom through Proverbs. He wrote beautiful poetry, yet his heart was not wholly true to God. And so ask yourself, what about you? What about you? Do you find your heart flirting with different sins? You need to know that you're playing with fire. Where you spend your spare time, who you spend time with, what you allow yourself to watch or look at, all kinds of things can begin to turn your heart away from God and understand the warning given to Solomon because you too could be headed towards tragedy. So sin begins in a disobedient heart. Number two, sin leads to a deep spiral. Sin leads to a deep spiral. Look at verse four with me. When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonites, and Milcom, or Molech, the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight, and unlike his father David, he did not remain loyal to the Lord. At that time, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abhorrent idol of Moab, and for Milcom, the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites, on the hill across from Jerusalem, he did the same for all his foreign wives who were burning incense and offering sacrifices to their God. This is a deep spiral that we see Solomon in. Verse four says that when he was old, meaning like he didn't just have a brief struggle with sin. This was a progression of sin that seems to have fully engulfed him by the time he was old. It says that he was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord like his dad David was. Now let's just pause there for a second. Because if you know anything about the Bible, if you know anything about King David, you know that he was a massive sinner. Like King David was an adulterer and a murderer. He stood on the top of his palace one day and he looked out and he saw this woman taking a bath who her name was Bathsheba, which I've always found to be ironic, right? And so he sees her, has an affair with her, and then to cover it all up, he has her husband killed. And so he was, he was deeply sinful. And so we know whenever First Kings says that he was devoted, that David was devoted, that doesn't mean sinless. So what does it mean? David sinned in a massive way, but his fall was followed by a broken and repentant heart. And that's the difference. Psalm 51 is David's prayer of repentance. He says, be gracious to me, God, 
according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin for I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. See, David was repentant and as a result, Acts 13 calls David a man after God's own heart, right? David wasn't sinless. Solomon wasn't sinless. The difference is, is how each of them respond to their sin. David repents. He turns toward God and away from his sin while Solomon does the opposite. He turns away from God and towards his sin. And so the message there for all of us is this, man, we all sin, every single one of us. The message here is not just be sinless because you and I will fail before we can even go to bed tonight. We all sin, Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even the great apostle Paul in Romans chapter seven says that there are things in his life that he continues to struggle with. He says, I keep doing the things that I hate, right? And I'm sure you and I feel that same way. Like there's things that we just can't seem to kick. But if you have fallen into sin, my encouragement is follow the example of David, not Solomon. Follow the example of David. Admit your sin, repent of it, turn away from your sin, turn toward God, accept God's mercy, find help amongst God's people and change the way that you live. See, this story provides a warning of the deep spiral that sin will take you on if you allow sin to fester in your life. And that's what we see. We see Solomon's spiral into sin. Again, chapter three, verse three, Solomon loved the Lord. And now in these verses, we see that he is worshiping all kinds of false gods, all kinds of idols. He's worshiping the sex goddess Ashtoreth. He's worshiping Molech and, and Chemosh, which both of those would involve child sacrifice. We see in 2 Kings chapter three. And this is where Solomon finds himself. He finds himself spiraling out of control into deep, dark sin. And, and the question is, how did he get there, right? Like, how, how do you get there? The wisest man to ever live, this man who had it all, this man who built the temple, who built the walls, who, who dedicated it all to the Lord, how did he get there? I'm sure at his coronation event in chapter three, he never would have imagined being here. I'm sure in chapter eight, as he's praying this beautiful prayer of dedication of the temple, he never would have imagined being here sacrificing children to these false gods. So how did he get here? I think we see it in 1 Kings chapter three, verse one. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. It's just one step of disobedience. One step of disobedience led to more, which led to more, which led to 700 wives, 300 concubines, a complete spiral into sin. And verse six says that this was evil in the Lord's sight. There's a quote um, that, that's pretty popular. Maybe you've heard it. It says this, that sin will take you farther than you wanna go it will keep you longer than you wanna stay and it will cost you more than you want to pay, right? Sin will take you farther than you wanna go, keep you longer than you wanna stay and cost you more than you wanna pay. What's so sad about that? While it's very true and we feel that, right? 
What's sad about that is the guy who said it. Look at who said it, a guy named Ravi Zacharias. If you know anything about Ravi Zacharias, you know that he was, he's passed away now, but he was a world-renowned Bible teacher and scholar, traveled all over, teaching the Bible, brilliant man. But about two years ago, it came out that he was hiding years of sexual abuse. And I think if he could tell us anything from the grave, it might be this again, that sin will take you farther than you wanna go, it'll keep you longer than you wanna stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. Sin leads to a deep spiral. Number three, sin ends in devastating results. Sin ends in devastating results. Look at verse nine with me. It says, the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He commanded him about this so that he would not follow other gods. This is so sad. God had commanded him to stay away from foreign women, not because he's mean, not because he doesn't want Solomon to have a good time or have fun, but so that his heart would not turn away from God. That's the why. Look at the end of verse 10. But Solomon did not do what the Lord had commanded. Then the Lord said to Solomon, since you have done this and did not keep my covenant and my statutes, which I commanded you, I will tear the kingdom away from you. This word tear here means to rip something away. So God is saying, I'm gonna rip the kingdom from your hands, which is exactly what happens. As we keep reading, as we keep going in the series, that's what we're going to see happens. After this moment, the powerful nation of Israel is divided, and we'll see a series of events and kings that eventually lead to Israel defeated, the temple destroyed, and the people held against their will in Babylon. And so you and I need to know, we need to understand that sin has consequences. It does. And so as we face our sin, we have to navigate between these two kind of um, unbiblical ditches on both sides of the road. The one over here says that, that our sin is beyond forgiveness. That's not true. Your sin is not beyond forgiveness. But the other ditch on this side just says it's no big deal. And we just kind of grow numb to our sin and we think that, you know, we'll just do whatever we want. But listen, man, even though God forgives us, sin has consequences. Think of the story of King David. After he sins, after he repents, 2 Samuel chapter 12, there's still consequences. The Lord says there's gonna be disaster that's brought on his family, and it says that the child that was conceived will die. Right? Sin has consequences, so hear me. Brothers and sisters, your sin does not affect just you. It's a big deal. Unfaithfulness in your marriage affects the whole family. Cheating in your job could put the company at risk. Breaking laws lead to other people getting hurt. Sin destroys lives and families. So let's not grow numb to it. Let's not grow numb to it. That fact 
should cause all of us as believers to run hard and fast in the opposite direction from our sin. But then we also need to know that unrepentant sin, sin that is not remedied by the, by the blood of Jesus, leads to death. Romans 6.23, for the wages, the payment, what is owed for sin is death. So this, this is serious. We don't take sin lightly. It demands a response. That verse goes on, though, to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This, this is where the, the good news breaks in, right? This is where the beauty of it all comes in because your sin is not beyond forgiveness. Your sin is not beyond forgiveness. As big as you think your sin is, our God is bigger. As big as you think your sin is, our God's love is bigger. His faithfulness is bigger. His grace toward you is bigger. So cut it off. Kill that snake that is living in your life. Number four, sin is defeated in Jesus. Sin is defeated in Jesus. And you're going, man, I think, David, I think that's a stretch, right? I don't see Jesus's name in this text. And that's where I would say that the bigger picture, the, the big narrative of the Bible informs this point here. Because look at verse 12 with me. After he says, I will tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant, verse 12, however, I will not do it during your lifetime for the sake of your father, David, I will tear it out of your son's hand. Yet I will not tear the entire kingdom away from him. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I chose. See, in this moment, God is referencing what's called the Davidic covenant. This is a promise that is made from God to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God told David this. He says, your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. That's a promise that God made to King David, and he's not talking about just Solomon. He's not talking even about Solomon's sons or grandsons. This is pointing, this promise is pointing directly to the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, that will rule and reign victorious for all of eternity. See, King Jesus is the flawless and sinless king. He never once sinned. He never once had to cover anything up. He never abused his power or fell into temptation. He was the spotless lamb who comes to take away the sin of the world. That's the reason John the Baptist rightly declares in John chapter one, he says, look, the lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. See, your sin demanded a sacrifice. And the spotless savior, Jesus, offered his blood for that sacrifice. And so he comes on a rescue mission to this earth to lay down his own life for you and for me so that we might be saved, so that our sin problem might be addressed. He willingly died on a Roman cross, shed his perfect blood for our sins. That was the payment for our sins. His resurrection was the paid in full that we needed. And so he rose from the dead in John three sixteen, You know this. You've, you've heard it since you were in VBS yourself for God so loved the world that he gave 
his only son, that whoever believes in him will not die, but will have eternal life. The question then is how do we respond? How will you respond? This past week, my friend Bobby passed away and his funeral was yesterday. And Bobby was an incredible, incredible man. He, he was in his 60s, never married, always working in the church. I served on staff with him at a church and he was the kind of guy that was so intentional. He cared so much for all of his friends. He was one of the most creative guys that I have ever met. But yesterday at his funeral, story after story after story of people just declaring how they saw Jesus in Bobby and and how his devotion to Christ changed everything about him and changed changed everything about how he interacted in this world. Because at the end of the day, at your funeral and at mine, all that will really matter is what you did with Jesus. It's all that will matter. And so a couple of weeks ago, when we first see Solomon, we're at his coronation event. He's the new king. And today, we're at the end of his life. We're at his funeral service, so to say. So what can we say about him? Well, he was apparently a great leader. He was very wise, like people came from all over to hear of his wisdom. He was great at trade. He built the economy of Israel up. He strengthened, he built the temple, he built the walls, he, he, he fortified the city. He was, a, he was a great leader. This man had it all. He also prayed a beautiful prayer in chapter eight. But we also know that he was extremely flawed that he directly disobeyed God. And he allowed his love for foreign women to turn his heart from his first love. And it became his downfall and it would lead to the downfall of the history of Israel. Jesus says in Mark chapter eight, what does it benefit if someone gains the whole world yet loses his life? And I want us to wrestle with that this morning as well. So maybe you're here this morning, man, and maybe you have it all going your way. Maybe you have the the job. Maybe you've got the Instagrammable life. Maybe you've got the car, the house, you've got it all. But if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. You don't have anything. Scratch that. What you have is a massive sin problem. Maybe you're here and you do know Christ, but you're living with sin in your life. And maybe it's hidden and maybe you've been hiding it for a long time and you're really good at hiding it. Maybe, maybe that's you this morning. I want you to take Solomon as a warning and kill that snake before it grows out of control. Sin's a big deal. It's serious. So the question is, how will you respond? Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. 
We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.